A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Jesus said to the Pharisees, There was a rich man who dressed in purple garments and fine linen, and dined sumptuously each day. And lying at his door was a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who would gladly have eaten his fill of the scraps that fell from the rich man's table. Dogs even used to come and lick his sores. When the poor man died, he was carried away by the angels to the bosom of Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried, and from the netherworld where he was in torment, he raised his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he cried, Father Abraham, have pity on me. Send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am suffering torment in these flames. Abraham replied, My child, remember that you received what was good during your lifetime, while Lazarus likewise received what was bad. But now he is comforted here, whereas you are tormented. Moreover, between us and you, a great chasm is established to prevent anyone from crossing who might wish to go from our side to yours, or from your side to ours. He said, Then I beg you, Father, send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them lest they too come to this place of torment. But Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. He said, Oh, no, Father Abraham, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. Then Abraham said, If they will not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded if someone should rise from the dead. The Gospel of the Lord In all of the parables of Jesus, only two people are named, and they're both in this parable. One is named Abraham. The Jewish audience knew that Abraham was known for his hospitality. Abraham invited three wanderers from Mamre to come to his home and rest, while he brought them water and food. There is no doubt that Lazarus would be treated very differently by Abraham. The other person who is named is Lazarus. In Hebrew, Eleazar, which means God helps. Before Abraham had any sons, he had only one heir to his fortune, his steward, whose name was Eleazar. In Jewish tradition, Abraham's steward, Eleazar of Damascus, was an angel. Lazarus, sitting outside the gate of the rich man, was an angel in disguise. In the book of Genesis, Eve is given to Adam as Ezer Kenegdo, a suitable helpmate. You might notice another name derived from the same Hebrew word, Ebenezer Scrooge. We know the story well. 
Both the Christmas carol and the story of the rich man and Lazarus are meant to awaken us to heed the word of God. Heaven is not something that happens when you die. It's something we're called to live now. The unnamed rich man wanted someone to go back from the dead to warn his brothers, just like Jacob Marley came to warn Ebenezer Scrooge. But in Jesus' telling of the story, it's not necessary for someone to rise from the dead. We already have more than enough in the words of Moses and in the words of the prophets. Deuteronomy 15, the law of Moses, commands us, If there is anyone among you in need, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward your needy neighbor. The psalmist declares in Psalm 146, It is the Lord who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. And the prophet Isaiah asks in chapter 58, Is not this the fast that I choose, to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? Ebenezer Scrooge woke up on Christmas morning. He got it. The rich man awakens in the netherworld and still doesn't get it. He knows Lazarus by name, but thinks of him as his water boy. He asks Abraham to send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and come and cool his tongue, for he is tormented in the flames. It's no wonder Abraham says the chasm can't be crossed. The chasm is the rich man's heart. It hasn't changed, even in death and torment and agony. He's still clinging to the old hierarchy. He still thinks he's better. The rich man calls Abraham his father. Claiming a religious heritage cannot by itself gain us salvation. Living a life characterized by active compassion to others is a sign that we are responding to God's covenant. John the Baptist tells the crowds, Bear fruit worthy of repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Abraham replied to the now dead rich man, They have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. Eliezer, the angelic presence sitting outside the rich man's gate, was already a hint of how we should interpret the prophets and the law from the position of the cast-out one. Jesus is the cast-out one who was raised from the dead. Father Greg Boyle, Jesuit, asks, Where is Jesus standing? He's standing with those on the margins, with those whose dignity has been denied, with those who are voiceless and powerless, with those whose burdens are more than they can bear. In the opening scene of the Passion in Mark chapter 14, a woman enters the room and breaks open an alabaster jar of expensive nard. Judas complained, why wasn't this ointment sold and the money given to the poor? Jesus responds, the poor 
you always have with you. We always think that this comment stipulates the existence of the poor, but that's not what Jesus is talking about. Father Boyle says that Jesus is talking about an expectation. I expect the poor will be with you. It's an expectation of where we ought to locate ourselves. It's talking about social location. It's not talking about the inevitability of the poor. I expect the poor to be with you because it is where I will be standing. Not in some moral kind of thinking, the harder thing is the better thing. But that's where Jesus is. So we humbly walk in his direction. In the April issue of The Atlantic, James Parker wrote of encountering a beggar on the street. Awkward, isn't it? The system of which you are a functioning part has thrown the person before you into a transparent condition of abject poverty and exile. Perhaps you feel a flickering of shame and then a flickering of annoyance at the flickering of shame. Their hands are out. Their tin cups are rattling. Why can't they leave you alone? Affluence is no picnic. You have a prescription to refill, a phone to upgrade, a car to get repaired. This bristling need, it's too much. Parker continues, Here's my tip. If you're temporarily indisposed, keep your money. A penny given to a poor man grudgingly, wrote the French Catholic mystic Léon Blois, pierces the man's hand, falls, pierces the earth, bores holes in suns, crosses the firmament, and compromises the universe. So don't do that. But if you're inclined to give, then give wholeheartedly, not for charity, not for empathy, not for any groaning abstraction, but that the divine economy of giving might circulate through you unobstructed, through your glands and through your veins. The person before you needs money, and you need to give it. Unplug the wellspring of life, and hand it over.